I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible with you this morning or a device that has a Bible app on it, to open it with me to the book of John, chapter 15. And today we're going to wrap up the three-week series we have been doing on John, chapter 15, on uh, being fruitful and multiplying. And what uh, we've been talking about these weeks is doing the things that will help us abide more deeply in Christ and then be able to bear fruit. And the last couple weeks, Steve has mentioned the three habits, which is something we talk about regularly around here. Habit number one of daily spending time in God's Word on your own, reading the Bible. Habit number two of teaming up weekly with a small group, a a, a group of people that you'll really get involved with each other and speak into each other's lives. Many of us have learned that you don't advance very far spiritually when it's just yourself that you're accountable to. And then habit number three, that you'll monthly be involved in a mentoring relationship with a spiritual partner. And uh, that's the seminar that Brian just told you about that's going to be a very good opportunity for you to grow and learn in that, both if you're a person who would like to be mentored or a person who would like to be mentoring others, but that that habit is in your life. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll be around and I'll hear somebody and they'll be complaining that they're not growing spiritually. And so, uh, not always, but sometimes if I have the opportunity, I'll say, well, let me talk to you a little bit about that. And so I'll say things like, so are you, are you reading the Bible? Are you reading your Bible on your own? And they'll go, well, no, not really. I mean, I've really fallen off in that area. And I said, well, tell me about your small group. And they'll go, well, we're not really in a small group. I mean, we've got soccer and, you know, we can't or whatever the reason is or the kind of thing. Or we're in a small group, but, you know, I, truthfully, we're real flaky about going and we're, re- you know, that kind of stuff. And we're not really connected there. And I say, well, are you involved in a in a mentoring spiritual partner kind of relationship? No, I'm not doing that. And, and I'll say, well, tell me, explain to me how you, how you see this spiritual growth thing happening. You know, how, how did you expect it to come about? And, and, and again, the point's not legalism. The point is doing the kind of things that will help you cultivate this kind of abiding relationship with Christ and then be able to bear spiritual fruit from that. So, again, we put those in front of you this week, too. So, John chapter 15, we're about partway down through, verse 18. Why don't you follow along? Uh, You might want to pull out your message notes as well. This has this passage on it, as well as the other verses that we're going to look at. And so, why don't you follow along, either there in your own Bible, or there on the message notes, or up here on the screen. Let me start reading these words of Jesus, starting in verse 18. He says this, If the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant isn't greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey your teaching also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come, 
and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. But when the advocate comes, the Holy Spirit, the one that we just sang about there, when he comes or the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. You see, Christians have always been persecuted. Jesus told us to expect it, didn't he? If you read in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews, beginning in verse 36, tells it like this. He says, some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. You know, persecution of Christians still continues to that level today. In many places today, our lifetime, 2015, in many places today, the price of becoming a Christ follower can mean torture or death or rejection by your family or the loss of your job or the loss of your social standing and connections. Just last weekend, I was talking with someone, and they were telling me about a missionary that they have a connection with in a, in a Muslim-ruled country, and this missionary, they had led this woman to Christ, and when she went back to her home, when her family found out about it, her father and her sister came and beat her senseless in an attempt to get her to recant from her Christianity. And even here in America, there's growing intolerance towards Christians. There's really been a shift in 21st century American culture where you, you can't be against anything, right? In fact, I like to put it this way. The only intolerance allowed is toward anyone who is perceived to be intolerant. Anyone who dares to say that someone else's practice is wrong. And so things like the freedom of speech and freedom of religion, things that were really foundational to our country, are now tempered by the new standard of no intolerance. And so even for us in the West, I believe it's the beginning of what will likely be more persecution to come. But the question I ask is this, why does this surprise us? Why are we shocked by suffering? I'm not saying we should like it, but why does it surprise us that it's coming, suffering, 
that it's here, suffering, persecution, rejection for being a Christ follower. I mean, did you hear the words of Jesus? Again, verse 15, Jesus said right here, or verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Verse 25, Jesus says, but this is to fulfill what is written in the law. In their law, they hated me without reason. Jesus told us clearly 2,000 years ago that these things would come for being a follower of him. In another section, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 10, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus told us to expect to be persecuted for being followers of his. Not only did Jesus tell us, the Apostle Paul told us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Paul says this, he says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions that I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. But in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul told us to expect it. And not just Paul, the Apostle John told us, 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. He says, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. I think maybe, you know, being part of a Christian nation has lulled us into complacency. But I don't know if you've noticed it, but America hasn't been a Christian nation for a long while, has it? Certainly, we were founded on Christian principles. Certainly, America boasts more Christians than anywhere else. But we've long since stopped being a nation ruled by Christian ways. And so what do we do? What do we do in a world that often hates us? Well, I think Jesus tells us right here in the passage. The end of this section that we're reading today, verse 26 and 27, Jesus says, And when the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus says that we are to testify about him. But how do we do that? Well, let me give you three very practical ways that I believe we can testify about Jesus. And you can fill them in on your message notes if you care to do so. Three ways that we can testify about Jesus. Here's the first one. 
is by standing against injustice. Whether that's being done against Christians or anyone else. You see, it's unjust that Christians are treated unfairly because of their beliefs, isn't it? Our country was founded on religious freedom. And here's what that means. It means I may not believe what you believe or what you practice for your faith, but I will die for your right to believe and practice that. It's unjust that Christians or anyone else in this country are treated unfairly because of their beliefs. But you know what? It's also unjust that children are captured and enslaved and used for profit in sweat houses and really what amounts to modern-day slavery. It's also unjust that young boys and girls are kidnapped and cruelly deprogrammed and then used for sexual favors to line the pockets of their pimps or their owners or the ones who, who have taken possession of them in the sex trafficking industry. That's unjust. It's unjust that people are kept down because of greedy people suppressing them for their own gain. It's unjust that children die and live with physical challenges because they can't just get basic medical treatment, things that really cost really a few dollars. It's unavailable to them. That's unjust. It's unjust that people get diseases all because they drink and bathe in diseased water. It's unjust. You see, injustice is everywhere, isn't it? And throughout history, Christians have testified for Jesus by being the people who stood up against injustice. It's been Christians who led the way in addressing these and other issues. And then along the way, we've earned the right to tell about Jesus while we were fighting the battle of injustice. One of the ways that we testify for Jesus is by standing against injustice. Here's a second way. We testify about Jesus by speaking up for God and for his standards. You see, as Christians, our worldview, our, our, the lenses that we wear, that we view the world through, that we look at the world, that we see things through, that, that's our worldview. Our worldview starts with God. Here's what that means. It means we believe that there's a God. And he has the right to say how things are and how things should be. And that's born out of the fact that he is he's the creator. He's all-powerful. He's bigger than us. <laughs> See, he's God, we're not. He's creator. We're creation, and therefore, because there is a God who is all of these things, our role is to line up under his authority, that he gets to say how things are. He gets to set the standards, that we are to do things his way, and 
we do it according to the revelation that he's given us, this word, which tells us about him, tells us about what he expects of us, what his standards of obedience are, that we are to line up under that. But, you know, here's the amazing thing about this God that we learn from reading our Bibles, is that he's not only God, it's that he loves us. In fact, all of his commands, because he loves us, are more about what he wants for us than what he wants from us. And so as we line up under his right to say how things are, we experience the benefits of a God who loves us. I, um, this is an old illustration, but I think it proves my point. A number of years back, I saw the movie for the stage play Rent, and uh, you, you know, great music in that, you know, the 529,600 sec, you know, that one. <laughs> so singing's for free, that's a thing. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not recommending the play, it's an awful play, but <laughs> stay with me. In it, uh, there's a subculture where everyone is, you know, gay or lesbian or transgender or cross-dressers or prostitutes, this subculture there, and they're having sex with each other and they're doing drugs, and as a result, they're all, or a number of them are getting AIDS and they're dying at ridiculously young ages. And so the message of the play is this, hey, we're only going to live a short while, and so we need to love each other and to accept each other and care for each other for this short time that we have together. And as I was watching it there with my worldview glasses on, I couldn't help but thinking, but how come nobody's asking the bigger question? I think the bigger question is, why is everybody dying of AIDS and diseases at 20 years old? It's because we've rejected God's authority over us and instead pursues ways, pursued ways that are against his standards. Why not rather line up under God's authority over us and do things his way? But you see, our world doesn't like that message. You see, when our worldview starts with me, then everything becomes about my freedoms, my happiness, my right to do as I feel or desire, my need to do things because of the natural tendencies that I have. You see, I've always felt like a woman on the inside, so therefore I will, see? But what God's word tells us is that pursuing a man-centered or a me-centered worldview will only lead us to disappointment and unhappiness. And that's why, that's why we need to speak up for God and his standards. Not out of judgmental arrogance, but out of love, out of compassion, because we know based upon knowing this God and, and reading his word, that God's ways are best. 
And so we need to speak up for God's standards, but we need to do it in a way that takes into account this third point also. Because you see, those Westboro Baptist people who show up at, those, at the funerals with those hateful signs, they think they're, they're speaking up for God and his standards. There's a website run by people who would call themselves Christians called GodHatesFags.com. And the people who operate that think they're standing up for God and his standards. And, and to a much lesser degree, I even think many of us, probably some of us in this room, have alienated non-Christians while thinking we're standing up for God and his standards. And so I think it's, it's really important that as we're standing up for God and his standards that, the, that we keep in mind that the third way that we testify about Jesus is by loving sinful people. You see, we have to earn the right to challenge people about their beliefs and their lifestyle. And I found that's done much more relationally than it is from a soapbox. That it comes from serving people, from loving people, from accepting them right in the midst of their sin. You know, after all, isn't that what Jesus does for us? Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He accepted us right where we were, right in the midst of our sin. And you know, I think we need to look to the example of Jesus. Read your New Testaments, read the Gospels, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where it tells about Jesus and his time on this earth. Jesus' example, you know, most of his earthly life, he was neck deep in sinful people. And I believe that a whole lot of us need to get better at loving people and accepting people just like they are, sin and all. And in the process, we earn the right to challenge their actions along the way, to lovingly discuss things with them as they allow us to, and to do it out of concern for them. Because the book of Romans promises us that sin always leads to death. On our encounter weekends, we describe death as hell-pleasing, not-in-our-best-interest consequences. That sin always leads to hell-pleasing, um, hell not-in-our-best-interest consequences. Sin always leads to sorrow. Sin always leads to unhappiness. Sin always leads to pain. And, and, and let me remind us that any person that's leading an ungodly life, listen, the solution is not for them to become more moral, is it? The solution is that they need to surrender their life to Jesus. And so I'm, I'm always amazed when I look at the example of Jesus, how he 
led with love. He didn't compromise, but he always led with love. And let's be honest, it's, it's, a, diffi- it's a difficult balance to walk in, isn't it? Standing for God and his standards, loving people in a broken, fallen world. I was challenged by reading um, about Rosaria Butterfield. Many of you won't recognize that name, nor should you, but Rosaria was a um, lesbian, radical feminist, lesbian, a professor at Syracuse University. And over the course of time, she was befriended by a Christian pastor who he and his wife, over time, really loved her into increasing openness to Jesus. And she ultimately gave her life to Jesus. Radical life change on behalf of Rosaria. But one of the things that Rosaria recounts in that book, looking back on her relationship with Ken and Floyd and their relationship together, um, Rosaria said this, she said, Ken accepted me as a lesbian while not approving of my lesbian lifestyle. And I thought, that's the balance, isn't it? That's, and it's hard to get there. I get that. But it's that aspect of accepting people where they're not approving, but loving and accepting them right in the midst of their sin. I think some of us need to extricate ourselves from friends who are negative influences on us because we're just not strong enough. And so we need to really pull back from that. But I believe there's others of us who need to work harder at establishing more relationships with really ungodly people. Not so that we can preach at them, but so that we can truly love them in a way that could potentially lead to openness and discussion. I think a lot of us need to get better at that. And I think here's what we need to understand. Maybe maybe this will frame it for you in another way. The cross is offensive. Do you know that? I mean, because here's the message of the cross. It's this, that God's wrath is on you because you are a sinner in need of saving. And even worse, you can't do enough on your own to righten yourself up. And that's the reason why you need to receive the shed blood of Jesus on your behalf to make you right before God so that God will look on his righteousness instead of your unrighteousness. That's an offensive message. That's why the world hates us. Because the message of the cross says you're not okay in and of yourself. You need Jesus to save you. You need to receive his shed blood as the means of making you right with God. It's the offense of the cross. Martin Luther, the father of the reformers, used to say that that when you preach, you always need to preach law and gospel side by side. You see, the message of the law is this, that a holy God requires these things of you. And as we read those things, as we hear those things, our only response is, I could never do that. 
I mean, on my best days when I'm firing on all cylinders, I don't meet that. Let alone the average days or the worst days. I could never meet that. And that's why the gospel is good news. That's what gospel means, good news. It's because the good news is I don't have to because Jesus did it for me. And so if I will receive his grace on my behalf, I can be righteous before God. Not because of my righteousness. I can't be righteous enough. That's what the law tells me. But the gospel tells me is Jesus is righteousness for me. If I'll just receive his death in my place. But the cross is offensive. And so... Here's the balance I strive for, and I don't know, you got to seek the Lord on yourself on this, but this is what I, I shoot for. I try to not offend people except for the offense of the cross. And so I try to the best of my ability to accept people right where they are. Drinking problem, living with their boyfriend, gay lifestyle, substance abuser, foul mouth, rude and obnoxious, you name it. I strive my best to accept it. I, that doesn't mean I approve. In fact, God doesn't approve, right? But I still strive. I, I, I believe that their choices will lead them to pain and unhappiness because sin, all sin leads to death. But I do my best to accept them. I still love and accept them right where they are. And I go out of my way not to offend them except for the offense of the cross. And so, tat it up, pierce it up, shoot it up, drink it up, sin it up. I'm going to do my best to love and accept you right where you are. But I hope that in the midst of our friendship somewhere along the way, I'm going to earn the right to dialogue with you about Jesus and the cross. And your need, I believe, ultimately to surrender and submit to him and his authority over your life. That's the balance I strive for. So let me give you four quick points of application, okay? I want this to be very practical. So here's four ways you can put these thoughts into practice. Number one is this. Let's stop being surprised that the world hates us. That we're disliked because of what we believe as Christians. Let's not be surprised by persecution. And persecution could be anything from being ridiculed and made fun of to being tortured and killed. Let's stop being surprised. Jesus told us, Paul told us, John told us to expect it. It's what comes with being a Christ follower. Application point number two is this, to pray for persecuted, for persecuted Christians around the world. Become more aware. You know, we, we live in the day of the Internet. There's, there's great organizations out there, Christian organizations, who help Christians and, and, and make us aware so that we can pray better. For, for a lot of us, we need to do a little research so that we can pray more informed for Christians and other places around the world who face horrendous persecution because of their faith in Jesus. Application point number three is maybe consider finding a way to stand up against injustice. 
to join with Christians across the centuries who've led the way in pushing back darkness. To start standing up against injustice. And then finally, application point number four, let's just love the snot out of sinful people. And maybe for, for some of us, this is the, th- maybe this is the application point right here, is to stop thinking about people as categories and start thinking about them as individuals, as people, people who, who Jesus loves, who Jesus died for. To stop thinking that it's your job to point out the sin in people's lives of people that you've never taken the time to really know or love. To stop thinking that it's your role to make sure that the first thing someone knows about you as a Christian is how much you disapprove of them. Let's get better at really loving sinful people. Well, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I would just pray that as we've been talking about abiding in you and producing fruit, God, that you would give each of us individually, speak to us. Help us have the wisdom to know what you want us to hear today. And then give us the courage to do it. And I pray it in your name and for your glory. Amen.